0: um, we won't just listen to these words and think we've heard this many times before i pray that you will cut us to the heart lord that you will awaken us inside that you will just with your holy spirit fall on us to realize the amazing wonder of these words with someone who was dead just stand among people alive and that you have done this for each one of us because we were all dead, Lord, and we can be alive. We are excited for your word, Lord. We don't just want to come to a gathering and go through the motions and listen to a few words and feel piped for the next few days until we do it all over again. We want to be changed, Lord, and we believe that your word and your spirit can do that. And so I pray that, Lord, that you would do this. I pray that you would bless Kevin, that you you would guide him in his words, but that you would guide us as well to not just be passive listeners, but that we will see the amazing gift that it is to have your word, to gather as your people. And I pray that you will change us today. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Mercy Hill Church. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it is a joy to worship with you all this morning. Just want to uh, mention two quick things before we get into this morning's text. The Advent Angel's uh, Amazon wish list cards. I know my wife mentioned there at the back. They're on the back uh, back corner there uh, on a table with the QR code for the Amazon wishlist. Make sure you grab one of these uh, so you can get connected to that. And then also uh, with the Thanksgiving dinner next week, Sunday night, 5 p.m., right here in this room. It's in conjunction with our Spirit led. And of course, we're going to need, as my wife mentioned, uh, we need a number for food uh, to know what we're planning. And then if anyone would like to bring a side dish or a dessert or something like that, you are more than welcome to do that. But please, I want, to, I want to emphasize this. You don't need to, okay? Just come and enjoy. Just come and fellowship and just let's share a meal together. And that Spirit Light evening, we're going to kind of do the format a little bit different, a little less music, uh, but there will be an opportunity for us to share in the goodness of God together. And so it is a Thanksgiving meal. It is a Thanksgiving-type service where we're going to sing a few songs of thanksgiving and gratitude, but we're going to hopefully share the testimonies that are in this room, okay? God has done amazing things and is doing amazing things. Maybe it's your salvation story. Maybe it's your testimony. Maybe it's something, just a situation going on right now in your life or happened recently in your life that you would love to give praise in front of the assembly with, with us, Okay. And so, come next week, enjoy some delicious. My, I'm like I cannot wait for Thanksgiving food. I cannot wait. Talked about this this last week. I uh, can't wait. Share some good food and share in the goodness of God. Okay, come. Bring something. Bring a testimony. I'm gonna pass through some sign-up sheets. Go ahead. You wanna help me? My wife's gonna help me pass them through. Sign up. Uh, Email went out this last week, too, with a link to a sign-up genius, and so uh, many of you signed up there. If you signed up there, you don't need to sign up here physically again uh, with a paper copy. Also, there's a QR code on these sign-ups. If you'd rather just snap that and sign up online, you can do that as well. Um, But yeah, I can't wait for next week. It's going to be awesome. Uh, With that, let's talk about Easter, right? Resurrection of Jesus. I thinking about this text again this week, and I was thinking about what our Easter's look like these days. Easter's a great time, right? Like, it feels weird to talk about it because we're going in to winter right now, right? I'm wearing my heaviest sweater that I own because it's freezing out. Easter, you're coming out of that time. You're going into spring. There's new life, and there's pastel colors and less flannel in the room. But Easter's awesome because it's a celebration, we come together at church on Sunday, Easter Sunday morning, and we're celebrating the resurrected Lord. And there's energy and vibrance and anticip- Like There's a celebration to it. He's alive, not just alive, in spirit, right? Do you ever have somebody, like, you're going through something rough or someone's going through something rough and you're like, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you there in spirit. Like, you're like, you're not really. Like, you're just trying to encourage them. He's alive, and not just alive in spirit or in theory or in metaphor. He's actually alive. We serve a God who is actually living, not just like by his spirit in the church, which is true, which is actual, his spirit alive in us, but we serve a living God. So like our Easter's are awesome an excitement, celebration. But I'm thinking back to this first Resurrection Sunday, this first Resurrection morning, and it had a much different feel, much different scenario. Because we have the Scriptures in our hand. We have the rest of the story. But could you imagine what is going through the minds and the hearts of the disciples this day? We got a little glimpse of it last week, where Mary... Shows up at the tomb, and right, finally she has that interaction with Jesus. He says her name. He, she hears him say her name, and she like clings to him, falls at his feet, clings to him, holds on to him. The disciples here we're going to read today, as we just read, as Christelle read for us. The disciples have a different feel. A different scenario going on, right? There's uncertainty. There's doubt. Probably thinking in their mind, like, "What does this all mean? How could he be dead? Didn't did we just lose?" You ever have that? You've had, you probably had that in a couple of Packer games this year, right? Where you're just like coming to reality or like coming to grips with what you just watched. You're like, "Did we just lose? We just lost to the lo- lo- what?" Jesus said, like he was going to usher in his kingdom. Like, what just happened? They killed them, and they're probably coming for us next. And so our text today picks up after the interaction with Mary Magdalene. And it's the evening of that Sunday. It's the evening of that first Easter Sunday, much different than our Easters. The first day of the week, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. She has seen him. She spoke with him. She embraced him. And she, he gave her instructions to go to the disciples. And so now we turn to those disciples. We see that they are gathered in fear. They're in fear of the Jews, our text says. Like I said, they just killed Jesus, and they're probably coming for us next. And that's why Peter, who had one of his lowest moments in his life, just a few days earlier, when he denied actually knowing Jesus, right? He was fearful. What are they going to do to us next? They just took away Jesus. They are torturing Jesus. They killed... Peter can't stand up in front of a servant girl. He denies actually knowing him for the fear of the Jews, for fear of what men might do to them. See, the fear of man is a powerful thing. Fear in general, right, is a powerful thing. It's that powerful uh, primal response, that fight or flight that we talk about. To run run and hide or to stand and fight. But I want you to notice something about the disciples in our text this morning. Yes, they are full of fear. Yes, they are hiding behind locked doors. They've locked themselves in because of that fear. But they're together. Did you notice that? They're together. Right? It's really subtle there in the text, but this idea is huge in my experience. It's huge in the life of the believer. It's huge in the life of you and me. You're full of fear, you're full of uncertainty, you're full of doubt, you're full full of turmoil. A lot of times the impulse for the believer is that we don't gather, but we isolate. The impulse often is to isolate. Too many times in our church experience when we're shaken or when we're broken, When we're scared or facing something huge or something even embarrassing, the impulse is to isolate. The impulse is to not gather, but to run away and hide, and that's where we really struggle. Anybody know this one? Anyone seen this one? Anyone experienced this one? Maybe you've found yourself in those moments where you're like, I just can't go to church again today because of all this stuff that's going on, because of all this fear and hurt and turmoil, I can't go there today and show my face. We fall for it. The enemy loves to isolate us. And we're so foolish for falling for it time and time again. Like, I just really need to be alone right now. We say that kind of stuff to ourselves. I just really need to be by myself, and I just really need some, some me time, some self-care time. What we need is to engage in the community of God. What we need is to be with brothers and sisters who can maybe help our thinking out a little bit, who can take the gospel and take the scriptures and put it before us again and pray for us and invite the Holy Spirit into these situations. But we're so foolish and we fall for it all the time. Instead of gathering together, we isolate. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, be sober minded. Right? It says think correctly. Be sober minded. Think right theologically. And then it says, be watchful. Pay attention. Look out. Know the situation. Don't be fooled by your own feelings. Ground yourself. Ground yourself in the word of God. Right? Be sober minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The picture here is a lion. If we've watched any form of nature show, you know, you guys watching the nature shows? Kids love animals, love nature shows. We watch a lot of nature shows in our house. We know how predators generally hunt. A lion goes for the weak one, goes for the isolated one. When we're scared, we feel weak. When we're stressed, we feel weak. When we find ourselves alone and our own thoughts, spinning untruths about the situation and about how others feel about us, we fall for the scheme of isolation. When we isolate, the enemy can work his schemes to, steal, to excuse me, kill, steal, and destroy. This is why I'm a pretty big community groups guy. It's where the life of the church happens. It's where we know people and where we're known by people where people can remind us of the scriptures, remind us of what's true. They can remind us of the faithfulness of God and to pray with us, to pray over us, to pray for us and invite the Spirit of God to not just work in the situation itself, but to work in my heart, to work in my mind. This last Friday, so last Friday? Two Fridays ago, the worship night at our house. Oh, man, time flies by. Doesn't Isn't it just flying by? Especially with the days getting shorter, like darker. Oh. We had an awesome time of worship at our house. First Fridays of the month, come on out. And it, we t- really turned it into this, like, big prayer time. We'd, we had some worship. We had some songs. But we prayed for people. We prayed over people. And the Spirit of God was so sweet in that house. I loved it. I loved that it was my house. I felt almost selfish because this was happening in my house. That presence was in my house. But, like, there was this beautiful moment in that, like, I felt like I just kind of was undone a little bit. A lot of stuff going on in church. There's a lot of things. And I I, I don't realize exactly how badly I need you guys. how I need your prayers, how I need your scriptures pressed into me, how I need all of that. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm part of you just trying to live out this calling here, and I need those gifts that you have. I need those scriptures, those, those experiences that the prayer is like I need. And so it was just a beautiful time of God's presence, of God's uh, showing up in that place where we were able to be the church one to another. And so I say all that. Do you notice how the disciples, yes, they're in their fear? They're in this turmoil. They're, they're scared out of their mind. They're fearing man. They're fearing the Jews. They're coming for us next. They're behind closed doors, but they're together. They've gathered together. They're probably praying. They're pro- in, in the midst of the worry, they're probably praying or meditating on Scripture. They're, they're reminding themselves of what Jesus said. And yes, they don't know what's going on. They're unsure, but they're together. And did you notice what happened when they were gathered together in the middle of that turmoil and fear? Jesus showed up. Jesus shows up. When we gather together, Jesus shows up. That's what happens. When we gather in his name, he is there. He shows up. When I'm scared, when I doubt, when I'm stressed, I need Jesus to show up. And when we gather together, Jesus shows up. Let's read verse 19 again. On the evening of that day, on the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Okay, so they're huddled together. They're in a locked room. They're probably praying, like I said, between those moments of worry. Hopefully they're reminding themselves of the scriptures. They're mulling over all the previous day's events, and they're trying to make sense of it all. And Jesus shows up. The doors are locked. He didn't knock. They didn't open. Our text simply says that Jesus came and stood among them. We're going to read uh, in our text next week uh, that eight days after this, he does the same thing. Eight days after this, when when Thomas is there with them, he shows up the same way. The door is locked. John makes a point to say, both in verse 19 19, and later on, next, next week, we'll read again. He makes a point to say that the door is locked. And Jesus kind of simply, and I, I don't get it. I don't understand how this happened. Uh, but he just shows up. He, like, materializes in the room. It's kind of the stuff of science fiction, right? Like, beam me up, Scotty. Like, that's probably not even, like, a relevant phrase anymore. I say that phrase, and there's probably very few people in the room that know what that's from. Somehow, some way, Jesus miraculously shows up. His new resurrected body passes through the door, or however that happens, and he shows up in the room with the disciples. D.A. Carson, in his commentary, points it out this way: he says John's mention of the locked doors is to stress the miraculous nature of Jesus' appearance among his followers, as his resurrection body passed through the grave clothes in verses six and eight, six through eight. So it seems here to pass through the locked doors and simply materialize, quote-unquote. On the one hand, Jesus' resurrection body can be touched and handled. You see that in verse 27. You also see that in Luke chapter 24. That that resurrected body bears the marks of the wounds inflicted on Jesus' pre-death body. You see that in John twenty-twenty. 20. 20. Uh, you see it in 25 and 27 as well. Not only cooks fish, this new body, this resurrected body, cooks fish in chapter 21. We'll see that in a couple weeks. But he eats it in Luke 24. So this body, he eats fish. On the other hand, Jesus' resurrection body apparently rose through the grave clothes, uh, appears in a locked room. See that this week and next week as well. And sometimes, at least initially, is not completely recognized. The closest we are to come to an explanation is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 35. So I'm going to read a few texts here. Talk about this resurrected body. But some will ask, someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person! Exclamation point. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. What you sow is not the body that is to be but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain, but God gives it a body as He has chosen, to each its kind of seed, its uh, kind of seed, its own body. For not all flesh is the same. There is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another kind is of another there is one glory of the sun another glory of the moon another glory of the stars for stars differ from star in glory so it is with the resurrection of the dead what is sown perishable what is raised is imperishable it is sown in dishonor it is raised in glory it is sown in weakness it is raised in power it is sown a natural body it is raised a spiritual body if there is a natural body there is also a spiritual body thus It is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man became a life-giving spirit, praise God. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as it is the man of heaven, so also those who are of heaven Just as we've been born in the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Thanks be to God. So, can't really get into all of that today. But I thought since that uh, commentary mentioned 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I wanted to at least point to that text and not just reference it. So Jesus passes through the door. Apparently he shows up in their midst And the first words out of his mouth are beautiful. What does he pronounce? Verse 19 again. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. The first words out of his mouth to his disciples as he shows up after the resurrection is, Peace be with you. When he said this, verse 20, He showed him his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Two times. Two times he says it. He pronounces peace. In the middle of their fear, in the middle of their hiding, in the middle of them being huddled together, Jesus shows up and he pronounces peace over them. Not what are you doing. Not why are you so scared. Not, knock it off. Grow up, but peace. And then he shows them. He shows them his hands. He shows them his side. He says, it's really me. Here it is. Here's my side pierced. See, it's me. It's really me. I'm here with you. I have risen just as I said, peace be with you. He promised, the peace that he promised to give them, the peace that he promised to give them way back in John chapter 14, If you remember that from a few months ago, verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He promised the peace. He promised his peace. And so he shows up in this room and he pronounces peace over them. It's really me It really happened just as I told you it was going to happen. It's really me. See, here's my hand. See my side. It's really me. Peace be with you. And then what does he do? He commissions them and empowers them. Let's read verse 20 again. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord, and Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, "Receive the Holy Spirit." See, this is John's version of the Great Commission, right? Matthew, we've got Matthew twenty-eight. We usually think of that as the Great Commission: go into the, all the earth, right? Make disciples of all nations, preaching the gospel, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go, make disciples. And here, simply, he says. As the Father has sent me, so, even so, I am sending you. I love it because there's a oneness here in John's account, right? The Father, just as the Father gave me a mission, just as the Father gave me a calling, just as I came to only do the will of the Father, so I'm sending you out with a mission. So I am sending you out with a calling. It's the same exact mission. It's the same exact calling. I am sending you just as the Father has sent me. Me, but it's not just mission. It's not just this. Like, I almost feel bad to say this. It's not like a multi-level marketing kind of thing going on, right? Where you got the dude who's got some dudes under him, right? And so, I got this plan. I got this thing. I got this. Thing. This is what we're going to purport. This is what we're going to. This is our thing. So I got me, and I got 12 dudes, and I give them the same thing, and then all of a sudden now they spread out, and they got more, and it's all of a sudden now the pyramid gets wider and wider and wider, right? It's not that. It's good strategy, though. It is, right? Because that's part of it. He has his disciples. He disciples those disciples, right? Duh. Disciples. Those disciples have disciples. You know that they're disciples because they're making disciples. He tells them to make disciples, and go into all the earth and make disciples. So that is our call. We have the same mission. But it's more than that. It's good strategy. As the Father called me to obedience, as the Father sent me, I have called you. I'm sending you in obedience on mission. Like I said, I think it's more than that. I believe that it's way bigger than that. It's not just mission. It's not just goal. But it's empowerment and sustainment as well. Just as the Father sent me, not just mission, how did he send him? In the power of the Holy Spirit. So I am sending you. Read our text again. Verse 21. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Again, He's sending out his disciples, not just with mission, not just with goal, but with empowerment, the same empowerment that he had from the Father, the same sustenance, the same fulfillment, this everything he needed given to him by the Father through the Holy Spirit. It's kind of a strange thing when you think about Jesus right? The dichotomy of Jesus, it's hard for us to understand that you have the God-man, right? Fully God, fully man, not half God, not half man. Fully God, fully man, right? As he walked this earth, and please hear me, this is a complex uh, concept to understand. If we get it wrong, we can end up with some really weird and, and wrong theology. And Unfortunately, we don't have a ton of time to unpack it all this morning, but I want to be clear that I am in no way suggesting that Christ was not completely divine in nature. 100% God, but also 100% man. He's the God man. When Philippians chapter 2, a lot of people like to point to this. It says that he emptied himself. Verse 5, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. We know this, right? We're supposed to be encouraged to have the same mindset. Verse 7, But emptied himself by taking the form of our servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right? He emptied himself. But what does that mean? Okay? In no way does that mean that he is drained of his divinity. Right? That emptying, that's the incarnation. That is him putting on human form, being found as a servant. That is, not, that is not him emptying himself of his divinity. But what happens is, is because he is God, because he is man, and because he's God, it's almost like he's got this unfair advantage, doesn't it? Like we assume that when Jesus walked this earth, that he did it all in his divinity. Drawing from his own divinity, not as a spirit-filled individual like potentially you and me. It was easy for him, right? Because he's God, right? He lived a sinless life, but he's God. Like if I was God, I could do it too, right? We don't say it out loud, but what it does is we end up doubting or or it undermines the truthfulness of a of a text like Hebrews chapter four, verse 15. That we actually have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us in every way. One who is tempted like us in every way. But when we focus in on his divinity, we can go, yeah, but was he really tempted like me? He's God. Or was it like when I wrestle with my five-year-old? Do you guys ever wrestle with your kids? Like, I used to wrestle with my kids more when I was younger. I probably need to do this more. I wrestle with my five-year-old, right? I don't give it all I got because I would cream her, right? I would be, the cops would be called. But when I wrestle with my five-year-old, what do I do? I hold back. What I do is, oh, I moan and I groan like it's really hard, like it's really difficult, right? I pretend like she's beating me. I moan and groan. I put on a show so she feels good about herself, Right? We, we, we pretend to be weak. And sometimes I think like if we don't have a right understanding of what Jesus like, he was actually tempted like you. He felt the same temptation that you feel. Was it that he was God that he was able to overcome? Or was it that he was empowered by the same spirit that you and I have inside of us? That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that dwells in us. I read a great article this week on Desiring God. I think it was titled, uh, Why Jesus Needed the Holy Spirit. did Jesus? He's God. Like, it's the second and the third person in the triune God. Points out to uh, the, the Puritan preacher John Owen in the article and some of his thoughts on the dichotomy and that hypostatic union of Christ His relation, uh, the relation of his two natures. And and I'm going to just read a little section of the article here. It says, one of his chief concerns, this is John Owen, one of his chief concerns was to protect the integrity of Christ's two natures, the divine and the human. In so doing, he made a rather bold contention that the only singular immediate act of the Son of God, that divine second person, on the human nature of Christ was the decision to take it into subsistence with himself in the incarnation, right? So in the incarnation, this, word, this right here, every other act upon Christ's human nature was from the Holy Spirit. Christ performed his miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit, not immediately by his own divine power. In other words, The divine nature acted not immediately by virtue of the hypostatic union, the joining of the two natures in Christ's singular person, but immediately by means of the Holy Spirit. The conventional way of understanding Christ's miracles has typically been to argue that Christ performs miracles by virtue virtue of his own divine nature, but Owens and others model the Holy Spirit is actually the immediate author of Christ's graces. Think back to when Jesus started his ministry, right? When he's baptized, what happens in Matthew chapter 3? Verse 13 says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized with, by you, and do you come to me? Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up out of the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Right after that, right, he goes into the wilderness. He goes into the wilderness and he's tempted. Luke's account of that says this, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. When it ended, he was hungry. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, tempted by our adversary. Right? And after that, after his temptation, if you go down a few more verses in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, report about him, went through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Jesus Christ, empowered by the Spirit, just like you, just like me, just like those who have been given the Holy Spirit. Think about what was prophesied about Christ. Back in Isaiah, chapter 42, Behold my servant, verse 1, whom I have uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. And again, chapter 61, verse 1. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So Christ comes in the power of the Spirit. He begins his ministry in the power of the Spirit. He begins his mission in the power of the Spirit. The reason why the Father sent him, he does it full of the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And here in our text, just As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you, yes, in mission, yes, in purpose, but so much more in the same power, with the same Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Church, we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The church gets weird all of a sudden when we start talking about the Holy Spirit a lot of times. Right? You start thinking about, you know, those crazy charismatics, those crazy Pentecostals, the crazy, like, whatever it is, right? We get real nervous about it. We're talking about the person of God, the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the third person in the Trinity. And Jesus saw fit that when he comes, when he comes in his resurrected body, when he shows up in the middle of the room, he pronounces peace over them and he commissions them not only commissions them, not only gives them the same mission, the same purpose, he empowers them. He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to be people empowered by the Holy Spirit if we ever hope to be the church that God has called us to be. When I look at the church, particularly the church in America, there's so much religiosity. There's so much church-going. There's so much playing church. It, 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 it makes my spirit mourn and squirm so much. There's so many times where we've had prayer meetings, and we've like, where my prayer is just simply, God, wake up the sleepy hearts. Wake up those that are caught in religion. Wake up those that are just playing games, that are just church-goers, not fueled by the Spirit, but they just have this arm's-length distance to the person and work of the Holy Spirit, theology, it's uh, theory. It's not worked out in their lives. It's not empowered in their lives. There's no way in the world that we will accomplish anything of spiritual value unless we are powered, empowered by the Spirit of God. We can't do it. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Only spirit gives birth to spirit. And God in His grace and sending His Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit, drawing from the Holy Spirit His mission, His power, His miracles, all empowered by that same Spirit that rose Him from the dead, that same Spirit that dwells within us. That's the call, church. To be full of the Holy Spirit. Are you full of the Holy Spirit? I look through the book of Acts. Man, we could get into, like, just, just keep reading. Let's just keep studying through the book of Acts. He says, go and wait in the upper room, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And you'll receive power when that Holy Spirit comes on. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to carry on this mission. You're going to carry on this same calling that the Father gave me. You're going to carry it on. Who thought, I've, I've said this before, who thought it was a good idea to pick us to accomplish the mission of God? How the heck? This, I know a lot of stories in this room. There's a lot of brokenness in this room. There's a lot of chuckleheads in this room. I'll include myself in that group. God chose us. What? He picked us to accomplish his will, to carry on the mission of Christ. He did that. We'll never, ever do it unless we're full of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray. We're going to respond. My encouragement to you this morning would be to be simply to ask for more of the Spirit in your life. Maybe you've been rather resistant. Maybe you're like, yeah, I don't know about that, all that weird Holy Spirit stuff or whatever it is. Like, I always say it this way. When I have, when I have people, depending on their church background, uh, you know, some, some church backgrounds, there's really kind of like a resistance towards the Holy Spirit or maybe the gifts of the Spirit or some of that stuff. And, and I, I get it, I get it, I get it. But all I want was what the Word of God says. It's all I care about. In my life, in my life, what I only want to care about is what the Word of God says, and I want to do it. That's it. And so, like, simply make your prayer. My, my prayer and pre-service prayer today was that we would be humble, that we would have soft and broken hearts, and that we would only want what he wants. You trust God? Do you trust God? If you, it, are you bold enough to pray the prayer, Jesus, give me everything you want, nothing more, nothing less. And that you would trust him, that he would fill you with his Holy Spirit, and, and nothing more and nothing less. Whenever I talk about the Holy Spirit, like people, like, however that, however, however, whatever expressions you've experienced in church, people talk about the Holy Spirit, whatever it is, like, I never, ever, ever want something emotionally frothed up. Some kind of weird, excited, no, I just want what Jesus promised his disciples. I just want to simply be the church to the glory of his name. I can't do it in my own strength. I need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit in my life to accomplish any of this. I need the Spirit of God in my life, and so I hope that's your prayer. I hope that's your prayer. Make that your prayer today. I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. We're going to worship. Spend some time in prayer. If, if, If singing is not the thing for you right now, don't sing. If it's just a simple prayer in your seat, Jesus, give me more of your spirit. Jesus, fill me with your spirit. Just as you filled your disciples, Jesus, breathe on me. Breathe on me with your spirit, God, that there would be less of my flesh, that I wouldn't walk in that flesh this week, that I would walk in your spirit this week, in tune, hearing your voice, using your gifts, touching the world in your power, with your mission, in your way. Father, we come before you. Again, I pray for humble hearts. I know that you're faithful to us. I know that if we ask, you will give us. If we seek, God, we will find, God. If we, if we knock, God, you're going to open the door to us. You're a good father with good things for your people. So God, today we ask for more of your spirit. God, that you would breathe on us the power of your Holy Spirit over our lives. God, that we might live beautifully to the glory of your name. God, on mission for you, sharing the goodness of Jesus wherever we go. Fill us today, oh God, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Let's stand. Let's sing together. Let's continue to respond. If you'd like prayer, I'll be up front here. Please come. I'd love to pray over you. Let's respond to the Holy Spirit today.